Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Tony Pace is a five-year survivor of stage four colon cancer. He works in a physically demanding job as an engineer, working on projects like repairing roller coasters at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, working 250 feet above the ground. And oh, by the way, he does this with a permanent colostomy. During a recent conversation over lunch, I couldn't help but admire Tony's outlook on life, his sense of humor, and his positive attitude, despite all that he's been through. And when I reread his bio, he sent me a list that included seven things that he's learned from his battle with cancer. Number one is you never know how tough you are until you are put in the situation. Number two, get up every morning and celebrate life and be passionate. Just being here is worth the journey. Never give up. I decided in the beginning that I would rather die on an operating table than not try something that would help me. Number four, never take things too serious and learn to laugh. You don't have too much control over most things that happen to you on this journey. Number five, enjoy your family and friends. Your journey will certainly show you who the close ones are. Number six, enjoy your job or find something that you love doing and celebrate that you can go on. Number seven, regardless of where your journey takes you, be happy that you were given however many number of days to enjoy. Each day after diagnosis is a free day that you may not have had. Join me with my conversation with Tony Pace. Tony, how are you, my friend? Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Lee. How are you? (laughs) I'm good, buddy. It's great to hear your voice. You know, I was reading through your bio and I got to poke you have a little fun with you. Most the folks that I've been talking to and getting ready for future episodes, I, I get a one or two page bio. Yours was the first one I got that I actually needed a table of contents for the 15 page story you had to tell. <laughs> but I have to tell you, as, as I read your story, especially the beginning, and we'll get to that. I'll let you get to that in just a minute. My initial reaction was, holy crap, has this guy been through it? So hats off to you, my friend, that we're even able to have this conversation. So, so tell me, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty and, and, and your journey, tell me about uh, life pre-cancer. Tell me about you and, and what, what your life was uh, before all this uh, came tumbling down on you, if you will. Sure. Uh, pre-cancer, I was 47, uh, father of three. Uh, Physically active, uh, did a lot of bicycling, uh, averaged about 2,500 miles a year on a bike. Uh, Physically active job, Um, I do rotating equipment repair, so it's uh, it's a lot of climbing, wind turbine work, oil refinery work, cement mill, so it was uh, was fairly aggressive work and uh, kept me busy and kept me on the road full time. I see. A lot of travel too, right? Yeah, we were we were traveling basically full time. Okay. And your your home is uh Philly, is that right? My home is uh about twenty minutes south of Philadelphia, right in between Philadelphia and the Delaware border. So tell me about when you started to realize that something wasn't right 
with you physically? Lee, my story was a little bit different because I actually, my symptoms started appearing as having extreme difficulty urinating. And um, I just physically could not pass urine uh, starting one afternoon after I was leaving a meeting at a power plant. And I went home. Um, I drank some fluids. I really couldn't pay anything and ended up in family doctor the next day. Uh, he thought uh, he thought it was an infected prostrate at, at 47. Uh, started me on a prescription and uh, kept me on a prescription for a week. And in all honesty, at the end of the week, I, I felt pretty good. Uh, I was passing fluids. Uh, that lasted for about a week. And a week after that, I was back exactly where I started and went from him to a urologist. Urologist actually gave me the same diagnosis and the same prescription. Told me that prostate infection was extremely difficult to cure and that it would take about six weeks to get it out of my system. Sent me home in good days, bad days, but uh, I had a six o'clock or I had a six week appointment to follow up with him. Right before that, I came home from work, got up around midnight, went into the uh, went into the bathroom, and uh, stood there at midnight and began passing solid blood as I was urinating. Oh my goodness! Now you were not uh, as as up on keeping up with annual physicals and those kinds of things like you probably should have been, if I understood your story correct. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had a family doctor in name only, <laughs> and uh, things would have to be fairly dire for me to make an appointment with him. Probably prior to this, I hadn't seen him in a minimum of five or six years. But at, at the same token, at 47, there wasn't a whole lot at that point that I was age-wise required to see him about. Mm-hmm. So you, all of a sudden you see blood and you realize that perhaps the medication they gave you still wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. So where, where did you go from there? Well, I, I passed, this was on a Friday, and uh, I passed blood, and in all honesty, I felt great when I went back to bed. And uh, I guess foolish as I was, uh, my assumption was I had an infection, and I passed an infection, uh, that was a Friday. I went to work Saturday and Sunday, and in all honesty, felt pretty good. Uh, came into work on Monday morning, and Monday morning around 10 o'clock, I went up to the uh, men's room, and now I began passing solids as I was urinating. And came down from there, called the urologist, who immediately brought me in for an exam and set me up for a CT scan. And that's when my... Uh, my cancer diagnosis began. Did he come up with the cancer diagnosis right from the CT scan? He sent me for a CT scan, Lee, and when I came back for a follow-up, uh, I walked into his exam room, and he came in and got me, asked me if I had someone with me or if I drove myself, and then brought me in the office and said, went through your CT scan, we believe you have a fistula in your bowel, 
and that is allowing solids to cross over. And we're going to do a colonoscopy to determine where the fistula is and then line you up for surgery. Uh, the next sentence was an, oh, by the way, we saw a cancer mass while we were reviewing your scan. And I have you lined up with a conference call with a colon surgeon. Okay. Now, and for those who don't know what a fistula is, would you explain that? Sure. Uh, what they thought happened was basically that there was a hole in my bowel that was allowing solids to come out of my bowel, giving me an infection, but was invading my bladder. So when you first heard the word cancer, tell me what went through your mind and your reaction to that. Well, I have, I have to tell you, I sat there. Uh, he's rambling on in, you know, behind his desk, and I don't know how far into the conversation he was, but you, know, you and I both know at that point, when you hear cancer, your immediate thought is life sentence, and this is not something I'm going to walk away from. And, and you kind of look at it like, I don't care if it's a little or a lot, either way, I have cancer. And it just, in my situation, it was just absolutely numbing. And you just kind of sat in the chair in limbo trying to catch back up with the conversation. So they did the colonoscopy, and what happened next? Did the colonoscopy. Um, I actually, it's the first time that I met, I met my colon surgeon was the morning of. He had called me prior to just for paperwork. But I met him morning of, and hey, 20-minute procedure. We'll see where this thing is, and then we'll go from there. About 20 minutes later, I woke up. Uh, he was sitting at the edge of my uh, gurney and uh, told me he could not complete the colonoscopy because he could not make it up my colon. It was 100% blocked with a cancer mass. Now, but you, did you have any uh, issues with bowel movements or anything that told you that this could be an issue other than the experience you had urinating? Not really, Lee. I'm going to say, you know, as he went through, hey, these were symptoms. Maybe, in all honesty, I, what I had written off as bowel movements after a spicy dinner was actually my only indication of colon cancer. You know, and okay, typically I might see some diarrhea. I might see um, a, a fairly rapid bowel movement right after the completion of eating. And I had always just written that off that, hey, it was, it was a spicy meal, it was peppers, it was, and, and kind of went from there. I had the exact same experience. I'm sitting here listening to this going, wow. So uh, when you, he asked if you had anybody there with you, uh, who, who was with you during, during all this? I, I know you weren't alone. Uh, no, colonoscopy, I had, my wife had started working. And uh, I had my parents sitting in the uh, waiting area in, in uh, what I'll technically call the butt hut, where, uh, where they do all of the colonoscopies. <laughs> Tell me about when you had to share the diagnosis with your wife and your parents. Well, it, it's interesting because 
he had already had this conversation with my parents. Uh, my dad had left the hospital at that point to go pick my wife up and brought her down and uh, sat inside of a conference room, went through, uh, needless to say, the pictures that he saw in the scope and that he really couldn't make a determination until he got inside for surgery to see at least what extent it had gone to because, you know, once again, he couldn't make it past the turn to see anything that was happening on the other side of the mass. So the first surgery was typically more exploratory just to get inside and see what was going on. So tell me about what happened next. Uh, Lee, it ended up, as, as luck would have it, it took six weeks before I could get to surgery based on needing both a colon surgeon and the urologist in the OR at the same time. Now, as luck would have it, it was well worth the six-week wait. When they opened me up, they found that they had the cancer had metastasized out of my colon into my bladder, along with one uterine line connecting bladder or kidney to bladder on the left side. So my first surgery consisted of they took half my colon out half my bladder, uh, repaired a uterine line, and replaced the uterine line while they were in there. And uh, it was, needed to say, an all-day surgery, but uh, about seven hours later. That's a long surgery. Wow. And... So what what information did they share with you once you came once you came out of it, and what was the course of treatment planned at that point? Well, I came out of surgery, and uh, at this point, it was the first time in my life that I had ever stayed overnight in a hospital or had any kind of surgery, besides perhaps a broken arm. But uh, when I woke up, needless to say, you've been there, so I was pretty heavily sedated. Uh, everyone came in to see me in the beginning, uh, started off with a colon surgeon on, hey, this is what we found, uh, followed by the urologist. And then uh, in the meantime, the colon surgeon brought me in with who would become my oncologist. And that was all within the first day and a half. I was hospitalized, I guess, about seven or eight days first time. And uh, I came home with something a little different, but I came home with, by virtue of the bladder issues, uh, something called a suprapubic line, which was a basically a hose that went through my stomach like an oversized IV, through my stomach, through my bladder, and then ran down my leg and had me urinating into a plastic bag. And prior to leaving the hospital, uh, they basically sent me down for a test when they ran fluid backwards into this, A, to see what size my bladder was left at, and B, to make sure that my bladder was liquid tight. Uh, I walked out of there with about a 75cc bladder, which really didn't mean anything to me until they said, hey, normal bladder size is four or 500. 
So the urologist sent me home with a uh, set of clamps, and you're going to begin clamping this line off for an hour every day for a week. And then the following week, followed by two hours, and we're going to see if we can begin stretching your bladder and see how much size we can regain. So it kind of, the way I think I'm getting a visual here, you clamp the line and that prevents the urine from passing and by virtue creates a balloon kind of uh, issue in the bladder and allows it to enlarge. Am I getting that right? Exactly. Needless to say, the hour was no problem. Once the two-hour mark was hit, okay, uh, if you need to urinate at that point, we want you to urinate normally and leave the bag clamped. And uh, that became its own issues, which I found out later was by virtue of having stints installed uh, through the utero line that they rebuilt. And... Um, we kept the bag actually through chemo for a year, um, waiting for bladder to return to somewhat near normal size. So at what point was the chemo re regimen prescribed and how long after that initial surgery did you start chemo? Uh, chemo started, I'm going to say, about seven weeks after. Went in, I had my staples taken out first. Uh, once staples were out, they started me on Oxyplatin 5-FU, and they held me off of Avastin, waiting for basically my incision to get to a point where she was comfortable that it was fully closed. So I was seven weeks before I started, and then they added Avastin probably nine weeks into it. And then, needless to say, I was every Monday for the next six or seven months, every other Monday for the next six or seven months. We, we both know how entertaining chemo can be. Uh, I handled chemo. I thought it was no big deal. My first treatment, my second treatment, and my third treatment put me in bed. And I was just, uh, I was just knocked back after the third treatment. And... Uh, and it stayed that way. You would typically have a bad week followed by a good week. Um, while I was on chemo, uh, I also became diabetic. Uh, chemo basically fried my pancreas. So uh, during one blood work session, they called me in and my sugar was running about 500. And uh, that put me on insulin. And I'm still on four shots a day. Now, t tell me, you had the exploratory surgery, the issue with the bladder, the chemo. Talk to me as I read your bio about the fo follow-up colonoscopies and the issue with polyps. Yep, my, my colon surgeon's concern was that they, have never, they never got to a point where they saw what the balance of my colon looked like. Because when they went in, it was surgery, and needless to say, surgeries in one room, uh, colonoscopies are in a different section of the hospital. So all he did was remove the portion of colon that he found cancerous. Um, his primary concern was getting back inside again to see what the other half of the colon looked like. 
So he scheduled a colonoscopy for as soon as he thought my system would handle it. And, uh, you know, needless to say, we're going to go in, we're going to do this scope. If the scope goes poorly, we're going to take you right to the OR and take the balance of your colon out. If the scope goes pretty well, then we'll see where we stand and reevaluate from there. So I went into the colonoscopy. Uh, colon was clear with the exception of a multitude of polyps, which, thank God, he could remove while he was in there. Gave me a clear sign on, my, on the balance of my colon, and uh, we basically continued regular treatment then, but also began performing colonoscopies every three months. And what we were going through was on a quarterly basis, he'd be removing somewhere around seven polyps or so every, every time that he went in. How, how many colonoscopies did you have that showed that many polyps? I'm going to say probably at least six. And this was every three months. So you were dealing with this for about a year and a half? Yes. Okay. And then you made what I consider to be a very difficult but brave decision. Well, my my other problem came in that I ended up with one cancer mass on my liver um, prior to chemotherapy. And then while I was in chemotherapy, that mass actually shrunk, but a larger mass grew at the same time. Uh, and the second mass grew and was situated right next to an artery feeding that side of my liver. So then we began looking at how do we control a new issue. Um, and my case was a little strange because I had no... Uh, lymph node involvement at all. So the question was, how did it get from colon bladder clear to your liver, but no signs of how it traveled? So at that point, we began looking for, uh, we looked at radiation. Radiation for me was not a very good option. Um, and we ended up finding a surgeon that would go in and uh, take out one lobe of my liver and then do some trimming around the, the other lobe that was left. And that was almost a year to the date of the colon, of the first colon surgery. And uh, that surgery took liver, took appendix, took gallbladder, and uh, that was about a nine-day stay in the hospital. And you were still going through your quarterly colonoscopies th through this as well? Yes. So once they did the liver surgery and they were monitoring what was going on with your colonoscopies, continuing to find polyps, uh, going back to what I stated earlier, you made a, a, a brave and uh, challenging at the same time decision that would be life-altering to have a uh, complete uh, colon resection, is that right? Yes. Yes, what we, what we looked at was uh, basically after my liver surgery, 
uh, my first scan after that showed that I was uh, NED with no evidence of disease. So technically, I was cancer-free at that point. Concern being, we're still removing X number of polyps per quarter off of you. And when I sat down with my colon surgeon, you know, we can certainly continue to do this on a quarterly basis for as, as long as you feel comfortable. And my thought process was, okay, um, that's, you know, every quarter you're taking on seven on average, so that's every quarter that I stand a shot of a perforation. Or uh, if you miss a polyp, do I end up right back where I started again? with another round of colon cancer. So I talked to him and we went through some options and needless to say uh, his initial reaction was the J pouch. Uh, we went through procedure, we went through possible uh, side effects from it and in the meantime I was still working full-time so my decision was to go the other way and I would at the end of the day in my mind if I had a problem with my colon, then I would rather have it removed than not be able to know what was going on internally with me. So after much uh, conversation with him, it's the first time he actually sent me for a second opinion because technically the other half of my colon was healthy. And uh, second opinion, surgeon agreed with the same thing. So yes, we went in for a total colectomy, uh, added an ostomy, removed all of my rectum, which was a second decision, because you can certainly have the um, ostomy, but still keep your rectum, but you would have to have your rectum scoped as well with the possibility of still being able to grow polyps in your rectum. So my thought process was if, if you were going to do this, you might as well do it one time and be done. So they took, uh, they took the balance of the colon, added an ostomy and then took all of my rectum out at the same time. That's amazing. That's amazing that you yourself, and I'm sure with family support, made this the decision to have a total colectomy rather than live through the fear of issues recurring through quarterly colonoscopies and having to deal with waiting for the results. What if they miss it? What if there's a perforation? That's a pretty extreme decision. Yes. Yes, it was. One that worked very well on, on my end, knock on wood. We talk a lot about, as I talk to other uh, survivors, the importance of making a lot of your own decisions, of course, with medical support, but being an advocate for your own care. Talk to me about the issue where you and the nurse had a little bit of a disagreement as to where the ostomy should be located. I really enjoyed reading that in your, in your story. Yeah, I, I got brought into the hospital pre-surgery and it's the first time I met an ostomy nurse. And uh, she had me lay down on a gurney and began feeling through, ab I guess, abdominal muscles to find position of where they wanted to put my ostomy at. And uh, she marked me with a Sharpie, and I got up, stood up, and I'm, I'm looking at this mark, and in my mind, I'm running this, this mark where this ostomy is going to be, and um, in my mind, it was too low for me. I wanted it up higher because I basically wanted to keep it away from my belt line. 
And um, we went back and forth and back and forth. And no, this is not where you want it. You want it where I have it. And okay, fine. At the end of the conversation, I came home with two marks. Uh, one mark where she wanted, one mark where I wanted. But I think the best thing that I actually did, Lee, was I actually had her send me home with some sample ostomy bags. And what we did was I put an ostomy bag and I put water in it and I mounted it on the mark that she had placed and then wore that for a week, took the bag off, and then the second week mounted a bag up on my mark and went to work and worked with it for a week. And day of surgery is my colon surgeon is looking at two X's and I said, I'll, I'll take the top X. <laughs> Tell me you put, you attached, wore this thing for a week and you attached it with duct tape. That would just be the icing on the cake of this story. Like, yeah, you, it, it's a terrible thing Lee, to be mechanical and go through this. <laughs> you know, it really is. I went to my second opinion, uh, fairly young surgeon in his forties. And, um, you know, by now I had certainly looked at, at stomas and I was fairly clear on what was going to happen. Um, and me and you both know you tend to go into surgery and then whatever happens, we'll deal with it when we come out and wake up. But this guy had me up on a chair and he was examining me and, all right, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, you know, the only question I really have is this piece that sticks out of you, a la a stoma, is that plastic? And he looked at me like, what in God's name are you talking about? And I was thinking like, you know, a piece of plastic sticking out of you and you would connect your small intestine on the inside. A faucet, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah almost, like a, yeah, almost like a bar with plastic plumbing, you know. And, uh, you know, he gave me that absolute ridiculous look and no, and explained this is small intestine pulled out, turned inside out and sewed back together again. Yeah, all in all, uh, all in all, I think it's it's extremely important. You know, in my case, I wanted my ostomy away from my belt line so that I could still work, and I was concerned about pinching it uh, while I was either climbing or bending up and down. So, in my case, it worked out substantially better to be higher and get it above my belt line, which allows me to wear a, a pair of pants normal and not not pinch. The, uh, the ostomy bag at all. So for folks who are listening that may be facing an ostomy and are, have a, a real sense of fear and what, how life-altering it would be, talk about your experience with yours. Sure. I've been, uh, I've been basically, uh, my ostomy was added 2010, I believe. And I have had, I'm not going to say no issues, but I have had very few issues. Uh, like most of the things we go through, uh, certainly have to go through it with a fair amount of humor. Some strange things are going to happen to you. Uh, however, it's very easy to work with, and it is far from the end of the world for you. Certainly, you're making some adjustments. Uh, sleeping habits and how much you can physically sleep in between uh, bathroom trips. But I, I typically work 50, 55 hours a week, and uh, it has not given me any major problems at all. 
You even gave yours a name, which yes, I, did. I thought that was unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> What's the name of your ostomy bag? It was, it was in, I, I kind of got a kick out of it. You know, I wake up and they tell me, Ooh, here's how you change a bag. And Oh, by the way, you, you have to name your ostomy. So, okay, what are we going to do? And you know, who's going with, you know, who's going with X names. And I, and I kind of went the other way and I named my ostomy no gotta. And this nurse is looking at me like, no gotta, where did that come from? And I'm like, that stands for no gotta cancer anymore. <laughs> Spoken like a true Italian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I admire your attitude and your spirit, uh, and you and your sense of humor. To talk to me, how you feel life has or cancer has changed you as a person, Tony. I think uh, I hate to say it this way, but I think cancer has actually given me some advantages. Um, it's an amazing thing because when the cancer diagnosis first came, I, I came out of the hospital back to my house after first surgery and I'm sitting there as I have this beehive going around my house of, you know, dining room set coming down and hospital bed coming in, who's going shopping, who's going where, and I'm just kind of numb sitting on the couch trying to figure out where do I fit into this family at this point because prior to uh, I had been uh, I had been the only one in my household to work I worked my wife stayed home with my kids uh, she ended up going to work when I first got sick but the entire household kind of shifted uh, and there really was fortunately my my kids were older at the time I want to say my youngest one was maybe grade school but higher in uh, seventh or eighth grade I believe so there was no big sit-down conversation on, you know, here we are, everybody just jumped in and, and did what they knew they had to do. But on my end, um, it has made relationship with my wife much better. I'm, I'm married 34 years, and uh, so it certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't a bad relationship pre-cancer, but certainly became a stronger relationship after. Uh, I think at the end of the day, I listen a whole lot better than I used to, and I've reached a point where I can resign myself that at times I have to ask people to do things, which I typically would not have done prior to. So I, I think, it, I think it, uh, it personalizes a lot of it with you, and makes you become much, much closer with, uh, with people in your household. I hear that a lot. That's interesting to hear you put it that way. So, Tony, I really appreciate the time. I want to ask you one last question that I ask everybody I speak to. Somewhere along the line, someone's going to listen to our conversation who either they themselves or someone that they care deeply about just recently got the word that they have colon cancer. What's your what's your words for that person? I think at the end of the day, it's a different journey for everyone who takes it. Uh, therefore, I have uh, no judgments on direction that people choose to go. You know, some some 
some people follow a journey very rather, rather quickly some are short uh, the biggest thing I can say is it's typically uh, not a death sentence um, however with that being said you need to enjoy every day that you have because it's it's a new day for you couldn't agree more Tony thank you again for spending some time with us I really appreciate it and as I tell everybody as part of my sign-off be well my friend take care Absolutely. you too Lee take care Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.